welcome to Modern Marketing Messages, the leading podcast discussing the latest and greatest in both online and offline marketing tactics, strategies, and trends. I'm your host, Taylor Karg, marketing content writer at AmericanEagle.com. Today's episode coincides with Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is actually this week on May 19th. We're going to explore the topic of accessibility as it pertains to websites and the ways in which marketers can improve their accessibility compliance in their everyday routines. So to do that, I have here with me AmericanEagle.com's very own accessibility expert, Nick Goodrum. Nick, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to talk, you know, no end, uh, pretty much talking through accessibility. So just cut me off whenever so I can actually just stop. <laughs> I love breathe. that. Before we get started, though, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? You know, how long you've been at the company and your experience in the field of accessibility? Sure. Uh, yeah. So pretty much when I actually came in, we were I just started out as a front end developer. We had a different name back then. But yeah, so I've been with the company now almost um, almost 13 years. Wow. Uh, so I've been here for a while. Uh, so I've been through a, a lot. And so pretty much when I first started out, you know, everyone was kind of siloed and a bit separate. But we did have some accessibility work, but it wasn't really kind of centralized. And so pretty much as I started to rise up the ranks and actually start to want to focus on standards and best practices, I really fell in love more and more, and more uh, with accessibility because it started to just really show how if you focus on accessibility, you actually make better products in the end. Yeah. Um, Pretty much I started to kind of grew into a director role of overseeing the Fed practices. And so I pretty much instilled that on, you know, front of developers and like, this is important. Like, you really should focus on this. That pretty much grew and we've owned it for quite some time. Um, but pretty much, uh, you know, as you grow, there's actually needs that capabilities and that specialist aspect to it. Because there's a lot of nuances in the accessibility space. And so we kind of, I saw a gap there really with all clients and, and just industries as a whole. Like there's there's a lot of voices out there, but it's still kind of a minority aspect to it. I pretty much then helped grow out our accessibility specialist practice. Uh, so that's where my focus is lately is really we have uh, specialists. Actually, we have multiple that just became certified um, by international organization. We're now uh, certified professionals in web accessibility. Uh, so multiple tests and exams to actually kind of say like, hey, we kind of know what yeah. we're doing here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we've been doing, you know, audits and uh, assessments and guidance and training and just helping clients to actually just better understand everything that's involved with accessibility. Because, you know, after doing this for quite many years, yeah, uh, it's just I kind of realized it's like the accessibility problems out there in the web space is not really because, you know, people are just malicious. They're yeah. like, I yeah. hate people with disabilities, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, no, that's going to somehow become a soundbite or something. No, Yeah, we uh, probably that part. <laughs> um, you know, it is about people not realizing what it takes, yeah. right? It's it's usually just people not realizing, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, that, I didn't think of that, right? And so it's a lot about education and kind of yeah. saying like, okay, well, have you thought about this? And have you thought about this? Have you thought about this user? And a lot of people still equate this to, you know, users that are blind. And, and they're usually actually the people that have it the worst because it's often the most overlooked. Yeah. Um, but it's actually accessibility is really focusing on all types of disabilities, right? So... There would be people that may have, you know, low motor skills, uh, might need to use like voice dictation. There's all kinds of aspects to it. Uh, so it's really just trying to spread that education. And it's actually seen a lot of success with a lot of clients because then they realize it's it's not one and done and it's ongoing maintenance. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that you're here with us today to talk about all that because it seems like you really know, you know what you're talking about. At least can talk. That's, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> 
So before we dig into everything website accessibility, I wanted to share some statistics that I found when I was researching that I thought were quite powerful, and they really set the stage for how important it is for businesses to consider accessibility when designing their websites. Yeah. So fact number one, according to the World Health Organization, 1 billion people, approximately 15% of the world's population, live with some form of disability. Fact number two, according to Pew Research Center, 75% of Americans with disabilities report using the internet on a daily basis. And fact number three, in a study conducted by WebAIM of the homepages of the top 1 million websites, over 51 million distinct accessibility errors were detected, which is an average of 51.4 errors per homepage. Yeah. No, it feels bleak. I mean, actually, so I was at uh, the CSUN Accessibility Conference this year, and um, WebAIM actually went over the report and actually, oh. like, like the findings and aspects like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they try not to be bleak about it, right? Like, you're like, okay, there's that much pervasiveness of problems, yeah. but it's getting better, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's again, it's, it, it's about, okay, let's continue to just make this place a, a better place. And so we're conflicting with a couple different things, right? If you think about it back in, like, early 2000s, right, how much was everyone using the web? Still yeah. a fair amount, but a lot of it still was brick and mortar and like yeah, interacting. Yeah, not like it is today. Not yeah. like it is today. And so technology also has like just exploded. Mm -hmm. And so like the devices and the interaction and, and the software and everything that's available. And so everyone, every company now is like, I need to be on the web. And so it's like, okay, everyone's just jumping into this. And so as you get that massive scale, you're also going to have implosions of yeah. inaccessible content. And mm -hmm. then it's, okay, let's start to curve that back in and actually start to resolve more and more and more. And so I think that's what I'm seeing, you know, a shift a bit in yeah. the past few years as well. So even though it seems a bit bleak, it, it, it does, actually... But it, it's, I think it's important to mention, because like you said, it is, you know, with the explosion of the internet, it is because there are so much more things to do yeah. on the internet. Yeah, and things have just gotten more complex. And yeah. as, as we all know, as things get more complex, <laughs> it's harder to maintain, it's harder to get it right. And then, so just kind of clarifications on a couple of those points, right? And, and it's something to think about from the marketing standpoint is, you know, also knowing your audience, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that number of, you know, okay, 15% or something, it's also increases of the percentage of that group of people increases as you get older, right? Yeah. I mean, eyesight, no matter how much we, we try and say it, it's like, it doesn't last forever. No. Um, it all starts to go down downhill, yeah. right? You start to see older markets. So, you know, depending on what the, the focus is, right, as a marketer, you actually will want to think about how that actually impacts a larger and larger group of people in that audience, right? Another aspect as well when we're thinking about accessibility is the audience, right? We were talking about older audience, right? They're also using the web more, mm -hmm. the same thing. So yeah. it's even if you say like as all everyone that fell in love with the internet, even back in the 2000s and even earlier, where even early 90s, right? or mid-90s, that audience is aging and they're not going to stop using the internet. Yeah. So yeah. the target audience still should be a broad audience anyway. So even if you're thinking like, I only need to cater to, you know, 15-year-olds and somehow market to them. And it's like, they are not the ones usually with the money. It's yeah. usually the people <laughs> that are actually older that yeah. are actually taking care of them. And so really, if focusing on accessibility actually broadens the market as well, uh, if we're thinking about it from an e-commerce. That's why it's like the numbers of like, you know, 15% of the population, yeah. mm -hmm. or depending on segments and depending on where you're getting the information from. I always find it a really a baffling where e-commerce websites are like, I don't know if I really want to like focus on this. And you're like, okay, you could possibly have even up to like a 20% increase in your target in, audience. Yeah. yeah. And word of mouth. And since the industry is so pervasively inaccessible 
You know, mm-hmm. if you've got over 50% of homepages with problems, right? Yeah. And I always look at it, it's like, that means that's an opportunity as a company to go like, we could stand out and saying, let's actually cater to a broader market. And that broader market goes, a lot of that is through word of mouth going like, oh, this tool is really nice mm-hmm. or this service is really great or they're really friendly to people with disabilities or our community. And that's just great messaging yeah. for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just always find it interesting when business is kind of like, oh, I don't know if it's really important you, or something like that. Have you figured out, you know, like why the reasons why businesses don't necessarily want to invest? Is it money? Is it time? Is it resources? Kind of what is the drawback for these companies not wanting to make their websites more accessible? So it kind of goes back into what I was saying about how it's not that people are actively malicious. It's yeah. not that they want to. It's a lot of times the decision makers and the high up people actually aren't really thinking about accessibility. And that's actually a shift I'm starting to see uh, over time. I mean, if you look, there's been chief accessibility officers, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. that, that concept in, in you know, Microsoft's had one for years. And so a lot of the bigger names have chief accessibility officers because and that's the pain point I think a lot of organizations are running into. And, and I'm starting to see signs and, and I hope it, it does kind of take off is, is leadership roles around accessibility. And that is because it's really hard, you know, because there's probably a lot of people in the organizations that are like, we would love to incorporate more into like, you know, counting for different kinds yeah. of users. Right. But they're a small voice in the whole entire company that could be, you know, thousands of people. And you're like, how do you get any significant change? Right. So having those leadership roles is really key to being able to say like, okay, well, we need to actually make these changes. And that's why there's another aspect to keep in mind is that you have both the external aspect, Mm -hmm. right? And so there is that thought around the websites, the accounting to outside audience. I think a lot of people also forget that accessibility is also about for hiring. The Americans with Disabilities Act has multiple titles that are part of it, Mm -hmm. right? What most people are kind of aware of now, just because the nature of the legal space and whatnot lately, is Title III, which is around public accommodation. So you have people thinking about private organizations that account for the public. But a lot of them also forget is that there's also like a bunch of other titles in there. And one of them is Title I, which is about employers, right? You shouldn't create a bias towards employees with disabilities. I think that's where a lot of people are like, okay, we'll just focus on the website. You're like... There's like a lot many, of, other many other aspects <laughs> that you have to think about. And that's where having those leadership roles inside the organization help flesh those out, come up with policies and actually be able to make more significant difference. So when did people start really thinking about accessibility in their websites or in their everyday practices? Was it when, you know, ADA came out with all these rules and regulations or kind of when did you see that shift more towards a focus? And and that's what's interesting. So ADA, even when they did uh, some additions and whatnot in the 1990, you know, it's like really early on. I mean, web wasn't really existing yet. Until, yeah. Uh But in the early 2000s, it was kind of pretty much because the pervasiveness of the web, it pretty much started to say like, all right, this should be applicable to websites as well. But that's why there's no actual official ruling, I would say. There's not official, okay, overarching. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of the... mm, some of the legal space, like the legal space of people trying to, like Domino's, trying to push it up to the Supreme Court uh, because the Department of Justice is the enforcers. Yeah. And so it's kind of saying like even back in early 2000s, it was like the web applies and people go, okay, well, maybe the standards are only recent. And you're like, okay, well, the W3C, you know, they came out with WCAG 1.0 back in late 90s. And then 2.0 didn't really come out until 2008. 
Okay. And that's what most people recognize as the Mm -hmm. 2.0 aspect. And so it's always been there, but really it's just never really been enforced. And I think that's part of the reason why people go like, oh, it's not been an issue. And it's like, it's, it's always been an issue. And also, like I said, it's websites if you think back in you know alta vista uh back in the day maybe a lot of the content was also a lot simpler yeah i think that's a great point and there was just back in the basics right you know like i'm just gonna have you know think about most of those pages you know they're probably just basic headings and yeah. paragraphs and maybe just, an image or two yeah, words <laughs> uh, just some just some text right it's, yeah. it's not that complex it was easier to be accessible because it was back to the basics yeah well not back it was the basics yeah and so over time, what ended up happening is it got more complex. And at the same time, there wasn't really much enforcement. And so early, and again, I'm no legal expert or anything, but I, you know, I can see some of the cases that were happening. Yeah, and early yeah. on in the early 2000s, you had airlines that had suits and aspects like that, but they've often kind of said, oh, well, you could go to a travel agent, you could call in, you can do all these other services. And it's like, you don't really need to be yeah. on the web. But like we were talking about, it's how much is everyone on the web on yeah. a daily basis? Uh-huh. So it's like many people probably aren't even willing to admit how much, I mean, the iPhones and whatnot tell you how much screen time you have. And I'm sure it is quite high for yeah. a lot of people. Yes. And so it's just, it's just part of life now. Mm-hmm. And so that's why enforcement has started to grow. Even with Netflix having a you know, lawsuit back in the day, Target, you know, it started to move from brick and mortar and then it got into that ethereal virtual space, right? Netflix didn't have a brick and mortar. There was no brick and mortar yeah. to it, right? Yeah. Since there's no official overarching, this is what you need to do. What ends up happening and like what is public accommodation? So title three, like what is public accommodation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think a lot of the misunderstandings and the legal space around that is. What ends up happening is some of the courts, depending on the court, uh, because there's also like individual districts and regions and whatnot, they actually start to align and say the web is public accommodation. It's not some hidden behind some locked door. Mm -hmm. You are providing a public service to people. Yeah. Uh, And that's kind of how it aligned to Netflix when they were trying to say like, okay, well, do we need to have captions and do we need to have, you know, audio descriptions? Do we need all that stuff? And it's like, well, yeah, you kind of do. You could do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What are the latest right now as we are, you know, 2022, what are the latest web accessibility guidelines? I'm sure there's a lot, but, you know, just a few of the overarching ideas or themes. Yeah. And so what ended up happening when we talked about in late 90s with WCAG 1.0, right? Like uh, then in 2.0, that came out in 2008. And that was a year after, you know, the first iPhone came out. Yeah. Mm hmm. And that was a year before even the first uh, screen reader on a mobile device was kind of set up for iPhone, right, for voiceover. 2008's version of 2.0 had nothing about mobile. Like, they didn't think about it yeah, at all, right? Yeah, Because it wasn't a thing yet, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so with changes in technology, guidelines and, and approaches need to increase as well. But it took a while, uh, about another 10 years, yeah. <laughs> uh, for 2.1 to come out. And so then there's another area in the government space called Section 508 in the U.S., right? Okay. And Section 508 is for, you know, federally funded sites. It's about, it's kind of procurement. So if the federal government's buying something from a particular, like a service or something, that service needs to also meet compliance needs. Okay. And Mm -hmm. back in the day, they actually had their own list. They said, follow these rules. And then just about the time that 2.1 came out, they said, okay, now WCAG 2.0 is the requirement. Oh, okay. And it was just like, what? You just, you just missed, you just <laughs> missed 2.1. You just missed that. 
what ends up happening is this. So we have 2.1 because WCAG is not flawless, right? Yeah. Technology changes. Okay. Or there's closing gaps because you think you've written it just buttoned up and everything is taken care of. And you're like, no, actually, there's a way you can sneak past this because of just the terminology. So 2.1 was trying to also broaden it to cognitive disabilities because that wasn't really as much of a focus earlier on, uh, right? Because so much of the web was early on thinking of like, okay, well, screen readers, keyboard users, there, there's so many different kinds of users that people aren't thinking about. Mm -hmm. And now it's, okay, we need to broaden that. And it's also more about cognitive aspects as well. And then also, okay, yeah, mobile devices are kind of pervasive. Everyone's using them. So we should actually incorporate yeah. aspects like that. Yeah. It's taken a little while. and It's been pushed back a couple of times. But uh, WCAG 2.2, if all goes well, will be this September. Oh, cool. Okay. That one, again, is trying to just add in specifics. Everyone kind of goes like, oh, no, which version are you using? 2.1, 2.2, is it 2.0? The thing is, is that a lot of them are clarifications and a couple extra additional technology focuses. A lot of times when we're even looking at 2.0, what a lot of assessors and, and people reviewing things against 2.0 were kind of already calling out the issues yeah. that are called out in 2.1 and 2.2. They just didn't have the verbiage to reference that. Okay. So there's things like uh, focus outlines, right? A sighted keyboard user should know where they're being able to, where they are on the page. Yeah. But the verbiage at the time was just like, you need to have a certain contrast and there's not really anything about outlines or the size or anything like that. But... You can kind of go like, oh, that's kind of hard to see. You probably, best practice, you should do something. Mm -hmm. And so when we're suggesting as a best practice, it's now kind of gotten to the point with 2.2 where you're like, this is exactly what you should be doing. So now it's just what used to be said is that's a problem and you should do something about it, but we don't have it fall under a very particular success criteria because you're kind of outside of that in the yeah. nebulous realm. Okay, now it is. So it, it doesn't really change things too much. But it does add some clarification against particular features that most people didn't really have until more recently with mm -hmm. more complex structures. I mean, I think that's more helpful, too. Each time it goes, it gets further down, you know, the number will be at, you know, what do you call it? WCAG? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I did, I, uh, so it, it all came from. So I, I believe what it is, is I think uh, Sharky or one of the kind of the early voice synthesizers devices and whatnot. When it would read WCAG, it would read it as WCAG. WCAG. Yeah. Um, okay. And so that's where it kind of, so I, it's not me. Well, no, I just was like, wait, I, I remember what it's called, but I can't really remember. Yeah. So, so yeah. And, and for everyone there, so I apologize. I, I, it's well, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. So I, I've yes. been throwing the term out. I, again, <laughs> I, I get so used to it. Yeah. So WCAG is fine. A lot of people in the industry also say WCAG just WCAG. because of all that. There's actually like a, from, I think around 2008 when it was re released, uh, there was a, a video like a song made really and a, a video funny. about yeah. it so if you look up like the wickhag song or something you can kind of listen to it and it's like that's schoolhouse where, rock yeah, they? <laughs> uh, it's a playful thing uh, but with excitement that you know 2.0 yeah. had come out going a bit deeper what are the legal implications and i feel like that's kind of a big gray area because some people you know never get slapped with any lawsuits and then some people do and it just seems like that one is probably really hard for the government to define what the legal implications are as well. So, yeah, they were going to actually have from the Department of Justice, there was going to be an overarching. Here's what the official ruling for ADA aspects was. And, and then it was kind of Didn't shoved happen. to the, then it was shoved off to the side and said unknown future date. But that doesn't change really the core aspect of ADA, which is really just boiling it down, is that there shouldn't be a bias towards people with disabilities. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You should think about them and not just 
go build stairs everywhere. I mean, that's why there was a whole entire well-famous one of literally people in wheelchairs getting out and literally climbing up stairs because they can't access yeah. buildings, right? Mm -hmm. There shouldn't be that bias there. And so that's why I, I just at the end of the day, if you think, well, it doesn't apply to me, and it's like, it, it, it applies does. It applies yeah. to everyone, yeah. right? Even if you think about mom and pop shops, well, they need to be able to have ramps and stuff like that, right? People often think about the physical space, right? And okay, there should be ramps and there should be um, options for that. Now, what ends up happening is there was, you know, a bit of grandfathering, right? Buildings already existed. Yeah. Right. Uh, but as soon as you made changes and you made modifications and uh, additions or anything like that, then it would be, okay, well, now you need to do the work. The problem with the web and saying like, oh, I'm grandfathered in. I didn't know about this. I didn't know about this for the past 20 some years. Yeah. <laughs> How often do you change a website? How much do you change every day, every hour? Yeah. Right? And it's like, well, you can't really say like, oh, I'm not going to. I guess you could say is I made this 20 years ago and I've never touched it and it has no changes whatsoever and I'm never touching it again. I guess maybe there is some some aspect, but there is no real grandfathering unlike yeah. other aspects to it. Mm -hmm. And so it really applies just regardless of what you have. It's But it's a lot about due diligence, right? It's not. That's a small startup site where I only have $500 to put into this. Okay, that's a really, really small site. <laughs> uh, good luck. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, versus some large entity that has tons of money. Yes. Well, the amount of effort that you should put into this could vary as well, right? At the end of the day, it's about awareness and making sure you're, you're building your sites correctly. And I think that's why, think about who built websites 20 years ago. You could probably just say, like, I'm, I'm going to build it myself or yeah, I'm going to, yeah, like, yeah. kind of hodgepodge this together. And think about what most websites need to actually build something out. I mean, you need at least, you know, five different specialties, if not more, in order to complete that task. Yeah. Especially in the e-commerce space, right? You don't want to look like you were built in 2008. And yeah, you want you're to, not going to get any business. Not going to get any business, that way, right? Yeah. And so the same thing is, you know, okay, well, you need to have all those specialists for, you know, your SEO, right? You need to have the specialists to be able to make sure you rise up the ranks yeah. and you're going to mm -hmm. need the right developers. You're going to need strategists, content strategists. And I mean, that's why all these roles exist because yeah. it got so complex. And so the same thing really applies for accessibility that really should have those roles in place at the very least consultation. But as we were talking about, also having some sort of leadership yeah, because yeah. it is larger than just your website. Awesome. From a marketing perspective, what channels does web accessibility affect and how can marketers improve accessibility in these specific areas? So, yeah, what channels? Where does it apply? Uh, the thing that I often see, f I'll start with what are most often overlooked. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with those. So first is pervasiveness of PDFs. I've even seen marketing teams where they're like, okay, depending on the type of company, right? I mean, there's some that are just like, okay, well, for banks, a lot of it is around making the PDFs. And so they have like creative teams that are making a bunch of PDFs and aspects like that. And you may go like, well, I made my website accessible, but I didn't like think about my PDFs whatsoever. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, if that's the only way you can access this information, that still applies. Yeah, it needs to be accessible. It's, it needs to be yeah. accessible. And I often go like, oh, well, you know, or I often hear, like, well, it's just for print purposes. And you go, what? how do they get the information otherwise? Then, yeah. Right? How do they print it? How do they, <laughs> how do they print it? And so what I often see is, you know, uh, in banks and other areas where they, they go like accessible alternatives available upon request. Because, right, if you have print, right, if you have printed materials yeah. and you go, OK, well, I printed out all this, in, you know, this aspect. Well, how does someone has low vision or is blind, how do they access that same information? 
And that's the beauty of the web where I think there's so much focus on still PDF and being able to print out and do things like mm -hmm. that. But the web, just having HTML, text, yeah. content, yeah. that can be read by screen readers. That, that there's multiple tools and ways of digesting this exact information. And so I also see a lot of pervasiveness of like, okay, we'll fill out this form. And that form is a PDF. Okay, well, how are you going to fill that out if you have low mobility? Yeah. How are you going to fill how are you going to do that? But versus, oh, we put that form on our website and you can fill out that form. And as a person that had to actually fill out forms uh, in college, I had, you know, one of my jobs was like, okay, I take forms and I literally enter it into a database. Okay. Right. Uh -huh. So someone had to physically write it and then I have to physically go put, put that it in, in the put database. It in, and put it in the database. Why even go through that process when someone could just fill it out online and yeah. then it's. You, Seems a little redundant. You know, it's yeah. redundant. But that's that's what's ended up happening. And so I often kind of go, well, do you really even need the PDFs? And if it is available on the web and you have all this accessible options, then yes, if you're going, well, we sometimes do have to print it out uh, for maybe, you know, presentation or something mm -hmm. along those lines. Well, that's what it is only really for, for print. But I, I see a lot of blurry area in that space. Another area I often see is this stuff right here, right? podcasts, video, the web used to be, okay, a bunch of images and text, yeah. but really with TikTok, all the social media aspects like that, video has become, okay, this is our great communicator. And the amount of times I've, I've said, okay, have you thought about your transcripts, your audio descriptions, and your closed captions? And the amount of times I, I feel hear like the answer is, is always like, really wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are those things? I go, okay, 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 let's go through each one of those, right? Um, and so I think most people are aware of captioning. Yeah. Um, uh, I use it all the time, but that's because I have t two little loud kids. And so I just like to read things while I listen. Yeah, to things. yeah. And so that's another thing as well. When people go, okay, well, should we even focus on people with disabilities? And well, actually doing that accounts for even broader audience, right? Yes. When we think about ramps for, you know, uh, physical handicaps for in the, in the physical realm. How many people have used a ramp that doesn't have a They don't necessarily need to use the they ramp. They don't necessarily yeah. need mm -hmm. to use the ramp. You're like, oh, a, a lot. And people with strollers, there's, there's all kinds yeah. of benefit, right? Mm -hmm. And so the same thing here. You have captions because people are maybe in a, there's also temporary ones, right? Temporary disabilities. And there's also just people in a loud coffee shop that just want to be able to like read what's going on yeah. without having to listen to it. Or mm -hmm. they don't have a you know, headphone jack. So you're really accounting for all these users by uh, putting in closed captions. Then the other area that is often forgotten about is transcripts so, and descriptive transcripts. So this okay. is where it starts to get into accounting users with low vision or users that are blind. You can even get into cognitive aspects, right? Maybe it's, it's easier to digest if it's narrated or if it is, in a sense, all written out for you. And so describing the scenes, really a lot of times uh, videos are actually constructed with storyboards and all of this stuff, right? The marketing materials that you're making literally have been written up yeah. with storyboards, yeah. with screenplays to literally explain everything. Uh -huh. And then it, I just feel like it gets forgotten about, thrown away or something. And then they launch the video and you're like, that thing that you just made, just bring it, bring it back, <laughs> bring it back, bring it back. Now that's your transcript. That's yeah. your descriptive transcript, right? Mm -hmm. What's the seating uh, or, you know, what's the scene? Who's talking? What's happening? What's what's going on? And then, of course, the dialogue as well. You've written it out. If you think about it from like a movie screenplay or, or you know, it's all written out. Having that as an alternative accounts for a broad audience because 
There's so many tools that can just digest text. Then the last part that I think a lot of people aren't aware of when we look at WCAG guidelines is audio descriptions. And so audio descriptions is, remember how I said all the describing the scenes, yeah. all of that uh -huh. stuff? That's never in the actual dialogue when you're talking, right? Yeah. No one's saying, look at that shelf <laughs> with the pot on it, right? No <laughs> one's explaining that there's a shelf with a pot on it. Yeah. But I'm talking about it or I'm talking generally around it. Yeah. And so I often give, you know, different examples for people to kind of realize what is audio descriptions. And I and so I often go with Indiana Jones, you know, the first movie and it shows my dated age. Um, <laughs> and when, you know, he takes the totem off of yeah. uh, mm -hmm. pillar or whatnot and it sets off a, a booby trap. Right. And that actually is a giant boulder. How much dialogue is happening in him running away and escaping that? If I remember correctly from seeing it live at Disney World, there's really not much besides, no. you know, the music behind it. There's music, there's rumbling, yeah. there's grunts, grunts yep. there's <laughs> slams and, and those types of noises. There's nothing to describe what's happening. So imagine if you closed your eyes and just heard that and never had seen the movie, what happened, right? No one would have any idea. Uh, you're just like, something is happening. Sounds intense. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's dancing. I don't yeah. know. And so that's where audio descriptions come in. Narrate. Think about it when, you know, parents read to their children. They're like narrating the scene yeah. and, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of explaining things. That's what you're doing. You're narrating it. Or I think of it, you know, like as a, listening to the sports game on the radio. Yeah. When in the car you can't, you know, watch it on TV. So you listen to the guys talk on the radio. Yeah. Who's playing? What's happening? Yeah. What's, what's the, you know, there's, you can hear the crack of a bat or something. But yeah. beyond that, you have no idea what's actually happened. So that's what it is. It's, it's narrating the scenes and doing that in real time so that people can enjoy the experience. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But that takes effort. And if you haven't thought about it at all, which many have not, and you're already a thousand videos in, it gets scary to people. Uh, but that's why I try and bring it up front. And I go, again, get back into that due diligence. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, do you have to fix them all by tomorrow? If you can, that's amazing. Yeah. I don't Typically think Typically things do. don't work, don't, you know, as you know. quickly as we'd like that um, to happen. But but it's about coming up with a process, right? Yeah. Especially in that legal space, right? Where they're like, what are the legal ramifications? And I go, I'm not legal counsel, but I would think if you showed up in court and said, look, we have a whole entire process. This is how we communicate with our producers. Uh, this is the process we do for creating the, you know, transcripts and audio descriptions and we have a backlog of a thousand videos yeah. and we're working through them. We're like 30 videos in, but we're still working through still, it. You know, going through the process. We're still going through yeah. the process and we're working towards it. We'll look a lot better than when someone comes and says, you haven't done anything for your video content whatsoever. And you go, what do I need to do for my video content? Mm -hmm. It's a very different aspect. So it is about that due diligence and so in the marketing space, so there's like the two main ones that I always yeah. like to call out because people don't think about it whatsoever. The other areas would be, yeah, you know, if you think about it, the carousels and the banner images that everyone loves to do, there, there are aspects that you have to think about. There's also, depending on whether the marketing team is just really more on the ad space area or if they're also on the web development, it, you know, because each company is a little bit different yeah, on like yeah. where the marketing team is focused. Mm -hmm. But if the marketing team also owns the website, a lot of the decisions that you make can impact accessibility. It's not all on the developers. There's a lot that the developers can do. Yeah. Uh, but it's a two-way street, and there's a lot of business decisions that can totally impact things. For example, you know, the amount of times I've had to have hover-based conversations on functionality, 
and pretty much like, I want hover. It needs to be there. And they're like, there's only one user type that has this. There's literally every other user type doesn't have this. It actually has gotten easier because of the mobile space to kind of go like, remember, you know, touch users, how they don't have hover. Yeah. But focusing on accessibility from the get-go, you wouldn't even have to have those conversations, right? So it's your website, your banner images, your business decisions, uh, what platforms you even choose has an impact because people go like, oh, it's so much effort to fix. Yeah, it takes a lot of effort to fix after the fact. If you planned it correctly up yeah. front, mm -hmm. there's, yes, there's cost and there's testing and there's people involved and there's effort, but that goes with anything making yeah. a website. Yeah. Uh, so the cost actually is not that different if you think about it that I'm going to build a, a site with best practices and, and hours like that. Yes, there's some extra effort, but it feels like it's just normality versus if, and I often get this way, they're like, how much will it cost? And it's like, if you're asking that question, it will probably be more Too, than, yeah, more, be more than, than you're willing to spend. More than you're willing to spend because <laughs> you haven't thought about it. You yeah. haven't planned for it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we've really changed to be more proactive and just really try and say, like, get the information out there, educate, let you know that there are things that you should start thinking about and planning for. And then also kind of helping alleviate because people go a legal space, right? And I go, yes. And there's many times where they go, I want to be 100% compliant. 100% on my million SKU e-commerce e platform. Yeah. And I go, that's a great ideal. That's a great ideal. And I would, I would love to help get you there. Let's set some more realistic expectations. Yeah. And remembering that this is ongoing, right? It is not a one and done solution. It is always an ongoing thing. If you are in, in a legal space and you're like, ah, what do we do? And it's like, again, come up with a solution that's going to not just say, I fixed everything and I'm done. Because by tomorrow, you're going to add five more yeah. images uh -huh. and 20 more items. Yeah. And you're going to go, okay, well, what now? Right? Mm -hmm. you've, you've forgotten about accessibility again. I don't have all the answers because, again, uh, that's more for legal counsel and everything along those lines. Yeah, but yeah. it is really about coming with due diligence plans and... So the couple of different channels, I guess the other aspect too is depending on if you're the content manager, images, right? Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, for people uploading stuff on a website, say, you know, our content management system, when we go through and add, you know, a new blog or a landing page, what are some like quick things that, you know, people like us can do to make sure that we're making this site more accessibility compliant? So at least from images, right? Because you're often writing the, the copy for those things. The way I would look at it when you first look at images is think about what its purpose is. If its purpose is to be inside of a link, it's going to go do something. If you describe, you go, Eric looking super suave in his leather jacket. <laughs> okay, but, but where am I going with this? Yeah. Right? And it might be about, you know, because it's just more for experience, right? And it's, it's like, okay, well, actually, this is just going to go to our landing page about our products. You go, none of that was conveyed. Yeah, yeah. So if you're doing images of text that way or images uh, that way, think about the purpose. You can still probably describe a little bit, but you probably should include the fact that yeah. you're going to go to this particular A different product. page, yeah. yeah. Then if it's just an image on the side, that's when you can start to describe it, right? Create the experience for the end user. Uh, a lot of people think screen reader users are going to just not care about images. But I've, I've actually gotten feedback from many where they're just going, this site is boring because I don't have any images. Yeah. It breaks things up to actually, not that they can't imagine things. And when 
low vision might hit you also varies drastically. There are people that are born with this and there's people that don't get it until their 40s Wait, or 50s, yeah. much later. Mm -hmm. And so they can definitely relate to everything that's being described there. And then there is a rare, you know, kind of rare case that if you've already described everything, right? A lot of times it's like images of icons. Okay. Where if, if you're going to go like email and literally the text email is right there and then there's an image of like an envelope or something. Yeah. You can guess if you want to say, you know, envelope meaning email. And it's yeah. like that, no, it's already described. It's, yeah. it's literally right next to yeah. it. So there are going to be times that you don't actually have to describe it at all, but then you just leave it as blank alt attribute. So it's just like alt equals blank. Okay. So nothing inside yeah. of it, but it has that attribute. Otherwise, it's going to read the URL. So it's going to read 055789.jpg. Yeah. Like, <laughs> which means nothing. No, which means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, okay, how do we know that we're writing good stuff? Hopefully, there's something inside of your CMS platform. Many don't, right? So there's also outside tools. So manual testing is, of course, highly important. And it's going to, because until AI takes over the world, being more human than humans, which yeah, it's not at that, yeah. <laughs> it's not at that point. It's not at that point. You still need to have human involvement. And so that's really the most important is getting user feedback, actually testing with real humans. But when you've got a million SKUs and you've got tons of stuff, uh, you probably don't want to pay to have people manually check all of all of those pages. Yeah, yeah. So an automated tool for testing is actually still helpful. It was not going to catch every single thing, but it's going to definitely step you in the right direction, especially yeah. around content. And so there are automated tools out there. We we have ones that we often recommend or aspects like that. We have a good partnership with Site Improve, which is just a big QA overarching one. It has a lot of uh, nice aspects for just quality assurance as a whole, but has a very good accessibility tool. Mm. But there's more out there. There's other items uh, and we, we can we work with whatever. It's about that mixture, automated and manual, and then that due diligence process. Got it. Got it. So, Nick, I have one last question for you today, and it's a little bit of a loaded one, but I'm just curious about, you know, like, what is the future of accessibility look like in your mind? Like, where do you see it going in the next few years to the next 10 years? So, yeah, uh, one aspect is, and I'm hoping that's correct, is what I was kind of talking about earlier, is that leadership role, for example, in privacy policies, right? And then there's, with everything happening in Europe, and, and so there's actually now positions that literally are not related to accessibility, but there's positions that are related to data management, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. being able to say, like, okay, I can remove you from our data. And so there's a particular role for that. And I think what ends up happening is, and what I'm seeing and what I'm really hoping becomes pervasive is having that dedicated role towards accessibility yeah. which then will make all of these changes and the websites and you know improvements overall for everyone improved now tech changes right yeah and so that's where organizations like the w3c and, and trying to create wicked guidelines try not to make it super specific to web but it's really hard because so much is about web yeah but you've got AR, VR, you've got these newer technologies. If they start to really take off, how do we incorporate that in an accessible way? And there's actually, you know, even games now actually have been starting to recognize this and actually have been building in accessible features into video games because of the pervasiveness of yeah, it. Yeah. And so really it's not just web, but really across the board that a lot of these virtual things as they start to grow more and more. I mean, that's why, you know, COVID, right? Yeah. So you got Zoom and all of these features that are actually empowering different people with disabilities even more 
because it's less in the physical space and, and more, more in the virtual yeah. space. So uh -huh. if anything, we're going to hopefully see improvements in quality of life for everyone, including those with disabilities. But it does mean we have to make sure we keep balances and yeah. checks and having kind of plans for accounting for the newer tech that's coming in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot. So thank you again, Nick. It was very enjoyable. No, thanks everyone for listening to me for quite some time. <laughs> thank you for listening to Modern Marketing Messages. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. And if you like this episode, follow the podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us. While you're at it, give us a rating and share this episode with others. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Modern Marketing Messages. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm Taylor Clark, and I'll be back with another Modern Marketing Message.